Welcome everyone back to the Brocast. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network, and I am coming to you after the seminal win of the Chip Kelly era, putting Chip Kelly over 500 in a season for the first time. The Bruins beat ASU 25-18. to Really weird game. Um, I, I think in the end, uh, UCLA probably didn't have much business pulling that one out, uh, but they did. Uh, that final drive for UCLA, I thought was, um, really, really good stuff from Dorian Thompson Robinson, really gutty play from Demetric Felton, uh, to get out there after, you know, obviously something's up with him. Um, whether it's the hammy or the ankle or whatever was going on in the last game, he didn't look quite the same and, uh, obviously only 10 carries, uh, in the game, but I thought both of them, um, you know, showed some real real fight on that last drive, but the second half was largely uh, all ASU. Um, UCLA wasn't able to do anything offensively. Dorian Thompson Robinson looked really really rough until that final drive. Um, he you know had that safety in the end zone, um, but also was rolling into sacks and just didn't just didn't look very good. Um, and UCLA's offense just generally didn't look very good. Uh, Britton Brown uh, seemed limited himself um, after going down in that first half. So it was all, uh, you know, a little bit more of Keegan Jones, who didn't didn't play particularly well. Um, and then defensively, I think with the just the fact that UCLA couldn't uh, really stay on the field offensively, uh, the defense um, began to struggle a little bit more. And I think ASU also figured some things out a little bit more with the defense. I think you saw more screening from ASU than you've seen from opposing offenses versus this defense. Um, and it wasn't perfect. I mean, uh, the last couple of drives, Jaden Daniels got hit a lot. Uh, but that was, it seemed like that was a lot of how ASU was hitting some big stuff was um, screens or quick slants or just stuff that got the ball out really quickly. Um, trying to attack the man coverage that UCLA's forced into quite a bit. And some of the weakness at corner. Um, you saw in that first half, um, ASU was trying unsuccessfully for much of the first half, but trying to attack Obi Ebo. Um, it seemed like a lot of their offense was just directed at whoever was lined up against him. Um, and that's ultimately kind of how they started to break through. Um, but um, they they were they, they seemed to have a better game plan against this defense. And I guess from that in that respect, it's encouraging that UCLA still only gave up 18 points. Um, but looking at it, I mean, this was a leakier game for the defense. Uh, ASU ended up averaging uh, 6.2 yards per play, uh, 4.7 yards per rush. But yeah, in the passing game, 12.6 yards per completion. I don't want per completion stats. Come on, people. Who wants that? Nobody wants that. We want to know how many attempts there were. Okay, hang on. I'm going to do some quick math. And here it's 11 p.m. So let's see how this goes for everybody. All right, so they had combined 36 attempts for 277 yards. So we're talking, you know, a little a hair under um, eight yards per attempt. So that's not quite as good as what the pass offense, pass defense was doing um, thus far this year. So I think there were some things that ASU figured out that UCLA's defensive brain trust is going to have to adjust to. Um, but it was a little bit of what I thought it would be. You know, the fact that Jaden Daniels is a little bit more of a true dual threat, I think, did force them to back off a little bit at times. Um, I think just the fact that he's simply a, a better quarterback than a lot of the guys UCLA has faced also, you know, just led to some of these things happening. He was able to get the ball out quickly. 
uh, to his receivers because he's got better recognition skills than a lot of the quarterbacks UCLA has gone against. That being said, I mean, UCLA still did end up with, I think, five sacks. It felt like more, but five total sacks in the game, uh, including two and almost a third on that final drive for ASU. Um, the UCLA defense stepped up big when it mattered. Um, you know, there was, like I was saying, there was really no reason for UCLA to even be in this game at the end, but for, um, a couple of turnovers from the defense. Uh, one of them was unforced, you know, it was a muffed snap by ASU, but the other one was a great play, just a great recognition by Jay Shaw, because it was a bad throw by, by Jaden Daniels, no question. But the fact that Jay Shaw basically left his man, you know, used that great awareness he has to get out over the middle of the over the middle of the field where he really wasn't supposed to be to provide kind of backline coverage of that play and be in position to get that pick. Um, that was really good awareness. Um, so I thought that was just a really, really good individual defensive play. And uh, it was necessary, wholly necessary, because uh, if he hadn't made that play or if ASU hadn't muffed that thing at the one, there's no Dorian Thompson Robinson wouldn't have been in position to have a winning drive at the end. Um, so, you know, even though it was not a um, by the numbers necessarily um, as good of a defensive performance as the last few, uh, it was still, um, I would say this game was still won by the defense um, because of their, you know, big individual plays at key moments. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it, it was a, a lot of fun to, like, digest and talk about some of the things that happened in this game. Um, the final UCLA drive, I think, is going to prompt a lot of discussion. Um, I think it could have gotten into some real, like, get into some really heady stat stuff because, so Felton, um, I'm just going to get to the particulars of it because it was interesting to me, with about a minute and change to go, uh, Felton is running the ball, he gets a first down, and then he goes out at the 12, and then uh, ASU gets called for a face mask at that point. Now, you might accept the face mask, but that leaves you with just four downs, basically, because you're at first and goal then. You're at first and you're at first down on the six. But you only have four downs, and ASU has three timeouts. Now, if you go out at the 12, or the 13, or the 14, if you'd gone out a little bit earlier, which might have been preferable, uh, and you decline the face mask, you potentially have eight downs because you can get another first down before you then have to initiate a scoring play. This is important because of those ASU timeouts. They have three of them, so they can do away with essentially four of your downs um, because you'll have to score on the fourth down. Um, so if you have potentially two sets of downs to, to use uh, to get that scoring play that'll win you the game, uh, that forces Herm Edwards into a series of decisions himself. Does he take his timeouts right then? Does he take all of them right then? And if he does, what kind of position does that put UCLA in? Um, so you could make an argument. I think it probably would have been fair to decline the face mask. So that's the initial point. But that one gets a little esoteric, so I'm fine with whatever they did was fine. But then on the ensuing series, uh, they get one timeout taken off by ASU. Um, on a run play that doesn't really do a whole lot, and then they throw on the next play. That gets a defensive PI. Then it's first and, I think, three. Um, the first and goal from the three. Uh, and then they run the ball with Demetric Felton, who then stands at the goal line, clearly not trying to score. Obviously, at that point, ASU wants him to score because they want to preserve time and timeouts. So 
a lot of consternation about this from the real math heads want them to just take a knee right there, um, you know, banking on the fact that you're more than likely going to kick a field goal and, and win it. Um, so you take the knee right there to force ASU to burn a timeout, take another knee to force them to burn another, and then run a play that doesn't score or that, you know, takes a lot of time or whatever um, to burn as much clock and timeouts as you can before the play. I'm kind of okay with what they did. I just think the one error is Demetrik Felton needs to take a knee at the one-inch line instead of just standing there. As it was, it burned an extra few seconds, so I'm not opposed to it. Um, but it did leave ASU with an opportunity. It left them with, I don't know, about a minute to go in two timeouts. So I thought it was clearly Chip Kelly acknowledged the reality that they didn't want to score immediately right there. But I think the execution could have been a little bit better because Demetrik Felton could have taken a knee. And then I think also UCLA's offensive line maybe didn't get the memo because they were kind of pushing him in, um, in addition to the ASU defense pulling him in. Um, but that was, I, I thought it was one of the most interesting, um, uh, acknowledgements of like the basic math of football I've seen because it was very clear ASU knew we need him to score. And it was very clear UCLA, at least the, at the coaching staff level and maybe Felton knew, Hey, we don't want to score immediately right here. Um, and I just haven't seen it play out like that before. So it was a lot of fun to, to kind of, uh, you know, wrap your brain around that whole thing. Um, but it worked out, um, and, you know, with the way UCLA's defense is playing, um, you know, I thought it was fine to push it into that realm, especially when UCLA got the two points on the conversion. It uh, makes it a lot, you can you know, kind of take a breath when you're watching Jaden Daniels then throw the ball downfield, because worst case scenario, they tie, uh, and you go to overtime. Um, yeah, so the other key note from this game that I think might get lost because of the last drive for Thompson Robinson is just... How I'm going to be charitable and say different this offense looked in this game than it did in the last few. Now, I think ASU's defense has some players and is probably better than some of the ones that UCLA's played recently. So I do want to acknowledge that. But I also want to say the offense returned to this herky jerkiness um, with DTR at the helm that it really didn't have the last couple of weeks. Um, the smooth operation of the run game, especially, um, seemed kind of absent in this one. And I don't want to blame that fully on DTR because obviously Felton was not a full go for this. Um, it seems very obvious that he was not. Uh, Britton Brown seemed like he was also maybe getting a little dinged up or was ailing in some way um, after those two huge plays he had in the first half. Um I mean, there was one point where Ethan Fernia was in the backfield. So clearly that depth chart has been decimated in some way. So I don't want to pin it entirely on, on DTR, but just the smooth operation of this offense generally um, seemed uh, gone in some ways, seemed very um, rusty in some ways, but also just kind of everyone seemed a little bit off from where they had been playing. Um, and Dorian Thompson Robinson did some things in this one that were return to errors that, you know, previously we might have blamed them on other factors, but now you look at it and you say, well, no, this, this all operated pretty well uh, with Chase Griffin. So what's going on now? What's the difference? And just simple stuff like rolling into sacks. Like I think UCLA ended up giving up, what did they give up? Yeah, they ended up giving up five sacks in this one, which, I mean, Chase Griffin certainly got sacked. Uh, but I think it was one or two in each of these games, um, not five. 
And I would say at least two were noticeable Dorian Thompson Robinson rolled into the sack. Um, you know, just kind of uh, one was a Matt Sykes block where he ended up having to be the key block on a defensive end, which maybe that's a you know blocking scheme issue. But Dorian rolled into it like he rolled that way um, running behind him. And then the other one was rolling behind Sean Ryan and rolling far enough out to his left that Ryan would have had to hold to prevent the sack anyway. Um, and it was just, it didn't seem like those plays were necessarily designed for him to roll those ways. Otherwise, you know, it would have had a maybe better, better manned up block scheme. So uh, those kind of issues and, um, you know, the, the safety thing, um, just, you, you didn't see those kinds of, um, errors uh, with Griffin. And that's not to say that there aren't obvious benefits to Dorian Thompson Robinson. I think we saw a lot of them on that last drive. I think we saw them on some of those scrambles early, but also there's some, some interesting notes like the rushing touchdown for Dorian Thompson Robinson. If you go back and watch that play ahead of him is Chase Coda who has a walk-in. Like if he just tosses it forward eight yards, Coda has a complete walk-in for the uh, touchdown. Dorian ends up having to like beat a guy to the corner to actually get his touchdown. Um, and clearly he could, I mean, Coda is in his line of vision. He's running directly at him. Um, and I don't know that one. It seemed like um, refusing an easy play for a harder one, um, which again, not something we necessarily saw with Griffin a lot. It was more just take what the defense gives you do, do the, you know, do the the limited, do the minimal thing, but the minimal thing is often the better thing, especially in a in a well designed offense. Um, so yeah, there were just some some interesting factors that made me at different points in the second half say, ah, oh, you know, that smooth operating offense from the last couple of weeks that might be a, especially in that second half where everything seemed to be going wrong, that might be a better fit. Um, but obviously, it was good to have Thompson Robinson and his playmaking ability on that final drive, um, the ability to push the ball downfield uh, to Greg Dulcich on that big throw. Um, so I think it's still, for me, it's kind of in that middle ground. Like, uh, you know, there are benefits to this, but there's also some serious drawbacks. And I think ultimately where I land right now is just because those this game more or less gave me a heart attack at different times is I'd prefer the non-heart attack offense, which was what was happening with Griffin at the helm. But again, we don't know how much of that is purely due to Thompson Robinson, how much of it is due to you know, some of the issues at running back in this game. Um, yeah, it was a really interesting game. Um, you know, UCLA went up 17 nothing. I think largely based off that defense. Um, and then I think the offensive struggles really did dictate some of that defensive uh, issue in the second half. Um, yeah, other than that, um, I, I, UCLA's 3-2. and two. Um, and I think what we were saying coming into this game that UCLA is a pretty good team now, um, or at least relative to the rest of the Pac-12, UCLA is a pretty good team now. I mean, is anyone in the Pac-12 actually good? We don't know. Um, they're not going to play anybody else outside of the league, but certainly no one looks dominant. Um, but UCLA, as far as the rest of the league goes, I think it's a upper third team. I think it's, you know, top four, top five, something like that, um, you know, I, I don't know that there's a defense playing better consistently than UCLA. And offensively, it's workable. Uh, you know, it's not great. It doesn't look awesome all the time, um, but it's workable. And that run game, when everyone's healthy, certainly looks good. So heading into next week, I think UCLA has a very reasonable shot at beating USC. 
I've never, I haven't seen anything from USC that makes me think they're an unbeatable juggernaut. Um, and then it'll be really interesting, you know, if they end up four and two at that point, um, you know, what that shakes out as for the seventh game, whether they'll get a rematch with Utah that they didn't get earlier in the year or, uh, whether it'll be a North matchup, um, that they haven't yet, you know, lined up against. Um, but whatever it is, I'm, I'm interested to see it. I'm interested to see this defense continue to play. Um, and, I think we can probably fairly safely say this is the best team that Chip Kelly's had at UCLA now. Um, just by and large, um, even with the limited sample size, I think between the defense clearly taking a massive step forward and the offense, at worst, I would say it's akin to um, what it ended up looking like in year one. Um which I think that ended up being a, like the 50th best offense in S and P plus, which feels about right. Maybe this is a little bit better than that. Maybe it's more like top 40. Um, but all in all, I would say it's a decent team. Um, and that's the first time I would really say that about UCLA under Chip Kelly. So all of that's to the good. We'll get one more game of it for sure. And then we'll see what the seventh game shakes out as, but, um, certainly has made a, uh, what was gearing up to be a pretty unpleasant season after that uh, Colorado game, uh, it certainly made it much more interesting and uh, certainly more fun to analyze. So we will talk to you again soon. Enjoy USC week.